Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, this is Emma, production and experience director at the Webby Awards. You might remember me from the old ads, but I'm back. Are you as impressed by the work of the Webby winners as we are? The work honored at the Webby Awards is changing the future of the internet, and you can have access to all the deets behind it. Sign up to the Webby Gallery and Index to uncover insights, inspiration, and trends for your work or just for fun. You'll get the ability to discover innovative projects from around the world that are awesome online, a database of credits to check out who made all that groundbreaking digital work, Trends and insights not available outside of our database, including major categories like fashion, sports, and social, and the advanced power of search. So if you're ahead of us and want to find something we didn't mention, you can do that too. Make sure you're in the know and sign up for free at the top of our page at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Sorry, I'm not Bill Simmons. Thanks, LeBron, Cubs, and fans. We owe fans who go. The slow grind never stops. Hey there, and welcome back to the Webby Podcast. When my next guest, Jalen Rose, started his NBA career in 1994, already a member of Michigan's famous Fab Five, the media atmosphere surrounding basketball looked very different. If fans wanted to know how their favorite player or team performed the night before, they had to look it up in, usually, the newspaper. There were no smartphones, no YouTube videos to instantly watch game highlights, and platforms like Twitter and Instagram didn't exist, so there was no way to DM, retweet, or comment under your favorite athlete's posts. In Jalen's opinion, in today's media climate, players can no longer divest themselves from the game. And that impacts everything from their families to the way they move in public. But it also gives athletes a direct way to have their voices heard. Jalen was an early podcaster with The Jalen and Jacoby Show. Spoiler, that wasn't the original name. And he always understood the impact of the internet and his platform with ESPN. In June, he also demonstrated that importance when he spoke out against the killing of Breonna Taylor on NBA Countdown. We talk about the weight of that moment and how he's watched social media impact every aspect of basketball, as well as his new podcast, Renaissance Man. But first, we dive into the start of his journey growing up in Detroit, Michigan. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Really, really great to have you on. Tell me a bit. I know, you know, a lot of people, of course, will know your NBA career. They know you from ESPN, from Jalen Jacoby. Um, and of course they know that you went to Michigan, part of the fad five. What was it like going from, or from living in Detroit and growing up there? And then that must've been sort of like a dream school. I would imagine living in Detroit, going to Michigan. Absolutely. The auto industry was booming in our country for GM Chrysler. 
So we, I come from a blue-collar family. Mother worked at Chrysler as a key puncher over 20 years. Uncles worked at the other two plants. Grandfather worked at the plants. Each of them at least 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. It just, you know, uh, a blue-collar family. And also the heartbeat of the town was music, Mo- Motown and uh, Barry Gordy. Mm. So those are the couple of things that we took pride in when I was a youngster. And also playing basketball for me from Lansing, Michigan, was a guy named Irvin Magic Johnson, who I fell in love with watching him play as well. So in the early 80s, something called crack came to the neighborhood, and uh, it, it really changed the dynamics of, you know, the neighborhood in a lot of ways. People were using and abusing drugs. It stopped a lot of people's dreams and goals from happening, and then it turned a prosperous city of basically up to 2 million at some point when we were thriving to now a city that probably has 700,000 people. And it really changed a lot of our inner cities in particular and uh, ruined a lot of families. What was that path like for you to get to the University University of Michigan? My path is the Biggie Smalls verse. If either you sling, crack, rock, or you got a wicked jump shot. And, And I chose the latter and I'm a funky left-handed jumper and always worked on my game every day, whether it's dribbling to the store often or being at the park all day. It doesn't matter what, what age group was playing younger than me, my age, older than me, two times older than me. And uh, going to St. Cecilia, the Haven of basketball in Detroit where all of the legends made a name for themselves. And I knew if I could play at St. Cecilia where I heard of guys, and then got a chance to watch guys like George Gervin and Isaiah Thomas, Derek Coleman, Steve Smith, Doug Smith, Anderson Hunt. If I could see all of those guys up close and personal, I felt like I had a chance to get to college and do something special. So I took visit to Syracuse because that's where Derek Coleman went, hometown. Took a visit to UNLV because that's where Anderson Hunt went, Final Four MVP. And I took a visit to Michigan State because that's where Steve Smith and Magic Johnson went, both tall guards. But I ultimately chose to go to the University of Michigan because I had the chance to be the fifth member of the Fab Five to sign his letter of intent, which is why I wore the number five. I actually wore 42 in high school. Did you know those guys before you joined up with them at University of Michigan? I did. Chris and I played AU from 12 and under, 15 and under um, with each other and against each other for a team called the Super Friends. One of our mentors, Curtis Hervey, and then I started playing for Michigan AAU as well. But we were friends and played a lot of AAU and played against each other in high school also. We both decided that we were going to go to the University of Michigan together since we weren't able to attend the same high school. What I was thinking about, like thinking back on that time and then kind of comparing it to today is you guys were like really famous 18-year-olds and in a, in a time where 18 year olds weren't really famous, it's not like now where there's like, you know, every, every other 18 year old has, you know, 400,000 Twitter followers or whatever it is. That was like a weird, that was a weird, cool, totally different thing at that time. It was. And, um, but just because you're famous, it doesn't mean you're more mature to deal with everything that comes with it, you know? And so playing on a big stage at the university of Michigan, but also um, taking pride in being a student. And also the, the, the game was just different. Even when the season ended, we weren't allowed to stay on campus or keep our dorms or we didn't get stipends over the summer. So even when the season ended, I was back living with my mom while I was in college. 
that it just shows you how much the game has changed. And so, uh, what? Why? Why is that? Because they didn't allow you to keep your dorm or your apartment, or they didn't pay your stipends in the off season. Wow. That has that is <laughs> yes. right. So it's like you packing up when the season in and the school year in, you packing up. Right. And it's wow. almost like starting all, all over again. But um, it was a terrific experience playing with Chris Weber, Jawan Howard, Ray Jackson, and Jimmy King, the other members, my brothers, staying in contact with them and doing what we could to change the game. We met Chris and I met Jawan while we were in high school because he's from Chicago, playing against each other in AAU and whatnot. We also had a game one time against the Soviet Union. This is as the as the game actually started to integrate. Like the early 90s, people remember the Dream Team when they played overseas. But while we were in high school in 91, we also played a game at Joe Louis Arena in downtown Detroit versus the Soviet Union. Juwan came in, and we got a chance to spend time with him as well as Jimmy King at the McDonald's game. So once we all got on campus, we were really familiar with each other and we treated each other like brothers. You basically, I think you stopped playing in around 2007, right? Yes. Yeah. And which is, I think, you know, Twitter kind of comes out and it's about the Mm -hmm. same year really for, you know, the very, very early, but, you know, in terms of becoming popular, it's probably over the next couple of years. You became commentator. You have a bunch of shows, Jalen and Jacoby, you host Get Up and have done lots of other stuff. You've really watched to some extent. It's like a really interesting view you've had because you have this experience as being somebody who came up and was relatively famous at a younger age than most people ever would be. You went on to have a you know, very successful professional basketball career. And then you started as like an observer, commentator, watcher of this thing that you were a part of right when it really probably started changing because of the impact of social media. What have you seen? Like how has like literally the game of basketball changed? And maybe, maybe it hasn't, I don't know what you think, but what, what do you think? How has it changed because of, you know, every single player out there having all these different channels and ways of having fans and connecting with fans. And what, what has that done to the game? Prior to social media, you were able to divest yourself from the game if you really wanted to. And your family, friends, siblings, kids could also do the same. Now everyone's immersed in it. It went from people probably texting you and or emailing you or calling you and saying, hey, did you hear the column that was written about you? to now you actually can pick up your phone and they can too and actually read the comments of what people are real time saying about you. So now it makes it more emotional if you allow it. And it's impossible to ignore what people are saying about you because if you're a celebrity and or an athlete, a public figure, You are who you are because people are talking about you. And it's really your business and your job to know what's being said about you. And so there's that balance. It's easy for people to say, well, just don't be on Twitter or just don't be on IG. But then those are the same people that give you an endorsement deal for how much you can tweet something for a brand. And so you wish they were mutually exclusive in a lot of ways, but 
I think it's actually good for the game and great for the players because now you have strength in numbers and all you have to do is press send to allow your voice to be heard. And that's another thing that changed about the game because before the newspaper game changed a lot and a lot of people that were actually writing became television personalities. When somebody wrote something about you, whether you were able to see them or not, became almost currency because either what they said was true or false, you validated or ignored it. But then when the player was successful or like a Michael Jordan or DCD's all-time greats, they always talk about the article, the column, or the naysayer that fueled them. Always talk about the time they got released and it made them be the best version of themselves. So athletes do take and consume what people are saying about them. But the last thing about that is there's a harsh reality that I got a chance to see ending as a player in 2007 and being on Periscope and being on MySpace and being on all of the things when YouTube first started and seeing everything mushroom and grow is that I tell athletes sometimes your critics are right. Sometimes your critics are right. When you're able to digest that, it's almost like being coachable in sports. You're able to reason what you're digesting because you're consuming the information. Everybody, everybody's consuming the information. It's like asking somebody to work on Wall Street not to pay attention to the stock market. Like it's your life, it's your business, it's your personality, it's everything that you've worked for to pay attention to also your reputation. And so the other thing that has worked to players' advantage is you can craft a message and not have have it crafted before you. Now you can go to someone's page, you can see their bio, what interests them, how they post, maybe they talk about family, maybe they talk what whatever makes them tick. And so that you become familiar with who they are, but beyond the score of the game. And then also when things happen that surround their name, it gives them a voice to actually say to the public what they think or feel about what's being said about them. I mean, do they have to develop just like incredible armor or something? Because like so much of sports is confidence, right? It's like, I mean, it's a huge part of it. And if you if you have all these people, I'm sure half the people are saying you're like the greatest ever. So that helps your confidence. But like the other half of the people are, you know, complaining or saying you're not or whatever. I mean, do you think it gets to the point where people change their game based on like reading Twitter that day? Or do they just, if you're a pro, you've really figured out how to, how to manage all that. Managing social media should be like managing the crowd on the road. All these people doing this rooting against you. And as you start to, get a little bit older, you realize that most fans and or most media members in their mind, when they discuss entertainment and or sports, they dumb it down so much that they start to talk about it. Like only five people have had good careers. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, it's magic and bird and Tom Brady, but everybody else, you know, you guys, you know, like it's Denzel and there's, you know, Pacino and De Niro and then it's everybody. Else. Like it's like forget everybody else. Like right. you, you're no, you're nobody. And, and so yeah. that, that that's the other thing that you have to acknowledge and put in perspective and acknowledge who's saying what. 
Like, are, are you really valuing the opinion of somebody that has not been able to achieve or has doesn't have the wealth of knowledge at what you do? You work with a lot of young people, and I want to talk about that in a little bit here, but do you think the young people that are coming up are better equipped now because they sort of started off with all this stuff when they're super young to, to deal with it? Or, Of course, because look at it like this, just like turning on this computer. They're more equipped. I started looking at these buttons too much. They started to look the same. But my daughter, this unlocks the entire world. She knows everything, every function, everything about it because that's what she was born to do. That's what she was consuming at a really small age. And so young people now, they're able to navigate on social media and or having a cell. Like, I don't know. How old were you when you got your first cell phone? 21, maybe, yeah. Right. Now, just think about that. Nowadays, young people have cell phones 8, 9, 10 years old. So now what ends up happening, what does that mean? It means that a lot of times you're unlocking what's happening in the world from a 21-year-old perspective, but you're only 8, 9, and 10 taking it in. And we couldn't push WWW and go anywhere. They could go anywhere. It was like when somebody was cursing on a CD or a tape, it was like, ooh, you got to hide it from your parents. Now nah, it's on the radio, it's on TV, it's on the internet, it's everywhere. What about the effects on players' families? Have, do you think that, is that really challenging? I would imagine like reading about your your dad or your mom in the case of the WNBA, you know, with and all the things people say about them and having so much access to that. I mean, that must be really hard. And also people claiming to be diehards of a team. And so now you're son or daughter needs to go to school with other classmates, teachers, and parents that are mad that the team lost the night before. Oh, man. Right. Does that, does that happen? <laughs> of course that happens. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, that happens. Like, you know, people's kids do get heckled and teased and, and stuff like that based on the performance of the team. Oh, man. Getting eliminated from the playoffs or not making the playoffs or you missed a game-winning shot. Like Danny Green was just talking about how his significant other was getting death threats after game five, and then those same fans were celebrating after game after game four, and then all those same fans were celebrating the next night. I mean, it really comes back to sort of what you are talking about at the beginning, though, which is people don't really treat players in that like, – it's almost like they mediatize players or they, they – it's like they don't think of them as people, really. It, it's really just uh, – entertainment or a character and like forgetting that there's actually these are actually real people so so if i was going to put them in currency right so social media is a a credit card and what's happening in front of you is cash right so if you were to go to purchase an item and each time you had to pull out and count your cash you wouldn't be as apt to do it. Right. But when you do a credit card, you don't think about it as much. Oh, it's $118.32, do no, no, no. But if you had to stand there and count the 32 cent and like, wait a minute. And you're like, how much was that again? You know, you start to be more conscious of it because it's tangible. Do you, do you consider yourself a journalist? Of course. I do. And I, I don't mean that as a criticism that I don't. I just know there's always there's people who think of themselves as commentators versus journalists and sort of thinking about that. Have you found that like, is it like way more exciting to report on sports now than it was before because you can have so much connection to 
the people and the industry and the game and the personalities that you're reporting on? Well, that's what one of the things I always wanted to try to add and or bring to the game because it was not always like that. Ten years ago when I started Jalen and Jacoby with David Jacoby, my brother from another mother, and I pitched the idea to Bill Simmons, who now oversees the ringer, we now look back at the journey now and see so many different personalities with podcasts, but I was the first former athlete with a podcast. Yeah. You, I mean, you were a very early podcaster. You're, 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 you're in the legends of podcasting for sure. And so in doing that, it was my opportunity to craft my voice and to show visuals of my culture that I felt like weren't being represented in the national media space. So at the time when I started the show, either certain popular shows that were out, like Mike and Mike probably had like the bobbleheads. I think Dan Patrick may have had like his Sports Illustrated models. I'm talking about as shows started to continue to progress. I think another show that was out had like helmets. Bill had a couple of things like Grantland related hanging up in the studio too. And so for me, it was not only do I want to do a podcast, but television and or radio can be a visual medium. And therefore, when I'm not speaking, it's important for me to have things that I feel like embody my my culture speaking for me on the walls. And Bill will tell you, I started bringing pictures from my loft to put up in the studio. Brought a picture of Bruce Lee, an old school picture of Jay-Z when he had bad teeth and bad skin, like pictures that motivated me imagery right and so now it seems normal that you see and people do it but th- that was my thing to talk about more than just the score of the basketball game and if i'm doing nba countdown it's a 30 minute show 22 minutes of content we got a game coming up it's not really time to talk about what's happening in pop culture right then yeah I just don't just, just just don't have the time and it's an nba focused show and so Jalen and Jacoby became my vehicle via podcast doing that. At first, it was called The Rose Report. And then as Jacoby started to become talent, we changed the name to Jalen and Jacoby. I, I didn't remember that. What was the naming there? Well, I used to love the, the, the magazine, The Rod Report. Uh, got it. <laughs> That's where I got the name from. <laughs> got it. <laughs> so... We were talking a bit about there about the the impact of of the internet and social on the game. It seems like a, on another side of it, very interested to see what you what you think and hear what you say about it. But it seems like in this last bubble, it's had very it's like a super positive impact in general. In that, there's some like really important issues that players were able to bring to a level um, of discussion in pop culture that they probably in the past had not had the platform and the time and the space to really elevate as much as they. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And that's why I appreciate the players in the NBA. Because so many times the conversation was easily hijacked by oh, just shut up and dribble, stick to sports. And that's basically telling, in particular, the sports that are predominantly black, like football and basketball, we don't care about your human rights. We just want to be entertained. And so what ends up happening when you're the talent, you you start to digest that. And it becomes a unique reality in a lot of ways. So then you have to become a professional and say, okay, I want to play the game that I love and take care of my family. You want the sport that you love and to be entertained. But first, it's important for us to talk about the pain that we're dealing with in our country right now. Let's really talk about what happened with George Floyd in eight minutes and 46 seconds where he was murdered with hand, while he was handcuffed. Let's talk about the Breonna Taylor case. And so for them to put Black Lives Matter on the floor and the 29 messages on the back of the jerseys show the players that the NBA was not only talking the talk, but walking the walk. And it was really refreshing to see these men, in particular, for example, the Milwaukee Bucks decide we're not going to play our basketball game because – we want to stand up for somebody that got murdered in our community. And we're called upon to support many causes. They change over time. They affect all of us. There, there could be people, animal rights activists, could be cancer. We could go on and on about the causes that people support. But a lot of times the frustration with black people is, when it's time to support those causes, that's when people seem to put up a barrier or start to take a pause. And so for them to make those sacrifices and go in the bubble and finish the season and deliver a playoff and deliver a champion while playing under the social unrest that's happening in our country, it was a phenomenal feat for Adam Silver and the commissioner of the NBA, Michelle Roberts, the president of the Players Association, as well as Chris Paul, who oversees the Players Association. And it was only right if you look back at the hindsight journey. And I did pick the Clippers to win the championship at the beginning of the year. But if you look at everything that ended up taking place, it's only right that the person that started more than a vote, oh, you can't see my visual, LeBron James, also is the person that won the championship this year. It's impossible to disconnect the internet from the time. You know, so I don't want to say what had happened without the internet because I think it's it's kind of obvious that it, it probably wouldn't have, but we also wouldn't be in this time and we wouldn't have known about 
a lot of these a lot of this police brutality without it honestly athletes have had a history of you know using their platforms and speaking up but i hope when we look back we'll look back and say this was the one that got people over the hump i mean it's a journey so we're never gonna be over the hump but do you feel like this was different than than in the past i feel like it's progress um as somebody that was born in the early 70s on the shoulders of Jim Brown, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, those gentlemen, Muhammad Ali, probably my favorite human being, not in my family ever to walk the face of the earth. It's like what they were willing to sacrifice was not only their livelihood, but feeding their families because they were also ostracized from the community. Tommy Smith and John Carlos were ostracized for what they did at the Olympics in 1968. Yeah. And so it, it was a different sacrifice then. So now for the current players to pick up the baton, Craig Hodges in the early nineties, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, my former teammate in Denver, Colin Kaepernick in the NFL for players now to pick up the baton and understand that money is power and since you have enough talent that people pay to watch you perform that gives you a voice and they've done an amazing job of sacrificing those who don't want to hear their voices for speaking up for what is right and i want to also applaud nba advertisers because they continue to support the league and they understood that it was important to be lock in step with that message. Why do you think that other sports leagues haven't been as progressive? Like why is the NBA the most progressive on this stuff? Like why don't, why don't we see the same type of thing from the NFL? And because ultimately those players care, they're passionate. And you talked about Colin Kaepernick. It's not, it's not a deficiency in the, in the from the player's perspective. What, what do you think is going on there? The reality is money is power. Daniel Snyder didn't change the name of the football team because he felt like it was offensive. Yeah. It's because sponsors started to pull out. Yeah. That's just the reality. And the NBA players have something that the NFL players don't have, guaranteed contracts. And also the thing that they have is a level of notoriety where their most visible players – are also black players. Yeah. And so with that dynamic, it's for them to use that platform. So Bubba Wallace, the only black NASCAR driver, I applaud his journey for them to decide to take down the Confederate flags. I don't know if I should celebrate that or act like it should have happened 30, 40 years ago. But in his sport, he got so very far to go because he's the only one. Yeah. He doesn't have the strength in numbers. He doesn't have the guaranteed contracts. LeBron James is a $500 million, a billion-dollar athlete. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, they're entering that. And so when there's more players like them, I think you'll see NFL players start to fight for guaranteed contracts. I think you will actually get them to talk to the NFL about putting the message in the end zone as opposed to outside of the end zone when I'm watching the games, like that type of stuff. 
I think most of our audience will probably have seen and remember, you know, you went on the air after Breonna Taylor was, was killed and, you know, you had a, I think it was, it was, you had a, a lot to say. And I think it, it sort of went viral, if you will. It was something that was shared pretty wi- widely. Um, we talk about that a bit. I mean, I was, I, it was, I think the point that you started off with that you got dressed and wanted to look extra nice in case you got fired that day was something that like, at least with me really resonated that you were sort of aware of your, of how upset you were and wanted to be ready for what happens, you know, what could happen. We we talk about that a bit and how you were feeling that day. That was, uh, these are tough days. That was an extremely tough day because when the Breonna Taylor ruling was announced, I'll just remember getting dressed about to leave and go to work. And I looked down in the shirt that I had on, I just sweat all through it. I hadn't, I hadn't left the house yet. It was, I was still, I hadn't even started getting dressed for work. I had on like a t-shirt and, uh, And I just sat back and I really digested what just happened. And people can look into the past of people who have been brutalized, lynched, murdered by the police. But when those encounters take place and somebody's tragically murdered like she was, and then you realize that they lied on the police report, George Floyd lied on the police report. Tamir Rice lied on the police report. I know these names, sadly, like I can name you some of the greatest entertainers or athletes in my profession. I went to college for radio, TV, film. I can name you people from 1920 to 2080. And sadly, I can also name you the victims of this level of brutality that have taken place in our country. And while the protest did look somewhat different because we had people that were not black also standing with us and unifying for our freedom and our liberation in a lot of ways. That's what we're fighting for. And that's what we're still protesting. I just remember thinking, should I call off? I was like, should I call off? And I just sat there for like 10 to 15 minutes. I was like, or, Should I stand on the shoulders of giants and show them that I'm going to endure like John Lewis and I'm still going to go to work? And I was like, if I do go to work, I don't know how this day is going to turn out. So I probably should wear one of my best suits. I didn't mean to say that on the air. Yeah. I did not mean to say that. That was that was not my plan. Yeah. And I remember watching the players running up and down the floor thinking, those are my brothers. And not just because I played in the NBA. It's bigger than that because we all look alike. And we know that could have been us. And we saw this happen so many times. I was thoroughly impressed that they were still able to run, jump, think, and play basketball. I was like, I can barely sit here behind this desk and watch the game. I was so hurt and disappointed and just frustrated. And so 
as somebody made a shot, he was running back on defense. And one of the messages on the back of the NBA players jerseys was say her name. And that's when it like, whoa. And Maria, who's great. Jay will. I think Paul was there with us as well. And then she was like, yeah, and he came, he got making buckets. It was at the right time or something. And I, I just spaced out at that point. And then when I just heard the word time, I was just like, well, actually, you know, it'll be a good time to arrest the cops that murdered Breonna Taylor. And I know people try to like do the semantics of killed or murdered or to me, when you shoot somebody six times and they are not armed, that's murder. And there are other things that happened during this pandemic. Like we know terms like Karen now. Those terms exist. It's been a really emotional time in our country. This is the greatest depression happening right now. I clearly wasn't around in the 1920s, but a lot of the things that we're dealing with, they didn't have to deal with either. I just really applaud NBA players and all people, for that matter, that really care about the human rights and the liberties of others and uh, continue to use their vote, their voices and their votes to suggest as such. I mean, you've been working in your community on issues like this and with young people for a long time. You have something called the Jalen Rose Academy, which essentially helps you know, high school youth get into college and graduate from college. We bridged the education gap. When did you start that? J the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy was founded in 2011. We're a nonprofit, open enrollment, tuition-free, public charter high school in the neighborhood that I grew up in. 48235 is the zip code on the northwest side of Detroit. And we influence young people between the ages of 14, ninth grade, and 22, which is fifth year, sixth year of college if they need us. Usually when young people graduate from high school, your high school throws that, you throw the hat in the air and say, woo, congratulations. Your public high school is still not supporting you and fundraising for you and giving you the guidance that you need to also graduate from college. Because we all know you don't get as far with a high school diploma as you used to. Yeah. So for me, it was about starting something and not only help young people graduate from high school, but also help them graduate from college, community college, get a trade, go to the military, just put themselves in position to be successful in life. And so we have 400 scholars that are currently in high school. We have another 500 that are between freshman year and fifth year of college. That's why we call it a nine through 16 model. For those that don't know, that's basically your freshman year of high school versus your fifth or sixth year in college. That's nine through 16. Hmm. And I used to always say that term since we were founded in 2011, like people knew what we were talking about. And then I realized something that's basically something that we created. And we're really proud of the work that we've done, not only graduating our scholars from high school, but from college and putting them in position to take care of themselves and their families and be successful members of society. How are those students doing during the pandemic? How has is, how is it affected your academy and just in general, you know, the youth that you're working with? Remote learning 
we were really fortunate enough to have a donor who works with the Pistons, Aaron Tellum, make sure that all of our scholars had laptops. Like when you're a tuition-free public charter high school, and for people that don't work in education, it's all misnomers about public or private. Let me tell you something. I graduated from a public high school. I founded a charter high school and I have kids in private school. If somebody knows the difference between each of them, it's me. Okay, it is me. And it's all about resources. That's all it is. Unfortunately, in our country, the quality of somebody's education is defined by their zip code. Yeah. If you live in a great zip code and you go to a good school, say thank you to your parents. You're privileged. And we call it bridging the education gap. We get zero state funding for our facility. Zero. We get zero extra funding for our, our college success team that supports scholars while they're in college. We also support special needs students. It's also acknowledged that in 20 years, public schools will not have sports because they don't have the funding. Yeah. Not having sports is saying not have breathing. Not that sports is for everyone, but the life lessons that young people get from playing sports. Like, that's almost criminal to deprive them of that. So since I knew that, I was trying to do what I could to try to create an opportunity for the young people in my community to thrive. How did they react to, to what the NBA did in the bubble? Well, the NBA and how they responded in a bubble was what should have been a lesson to everyone. Yeah. Pay attention to the science get tested as much as possible for those that leave the bubble. You have a plan of what to do to return to the bubble. If you fail a test, you're going to quarantine for this amount of time. And therefore they had zero positive tests and an NBA champion. Maybe as a society, we should try to do that. It's not to convince me. <laughs> um, we were talking about, I mean, what year was it when you started the, the first podcast Roland Roland report? The role report. The roles report. The roles report started around 2010, 2009 and 2010. Changed the name to Jaden and Jacoby like 2012, 2013. So I mean, that's you know, so you're getting into like a 10 years of being a podcaster, basically. You have a new podcast out though. It's called Renaissance Man, I think. What, yes, it what, is. What inspired you to, to start that and start sharing those stories? What inspired me? Let me tell you what inspired me. So everyone, just so you know, this is why I started the Renaissance Man podcast with the New York Post. It's going to be about fashion, lifestyle, current events, travel, eating. That's what a Renaissance Man is. Somebody that can interview Big Sean as he has the number one album in the country. Interview David Chang, a restaurateur. You've seen his show probably on Netflix, Ugly Delicious. I got to be cooking with him. Great show. I turned him on to something. He never had shrimp egg foo young patties at a Chinese food restaurant. I'm like, you got to come to the hood. I've been eating that for 30 years. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hook him up with that. And he's going to show me how to make some Korean food. But I got to tell you, it's a couple other people I can't wait to interview. One of them, her name is Queen Latif. I cannot wait to interview her. And let me tell you who I'm going to interview when I get off with you. You ready for this? Yeah. I'm going to interview. I, I, it, this, this is why you do this. I'm going to interview 
King, K-I-N-G, Nasir Jones. Now, I've been in this industry for almost 30 years. One thing you don't see, Nas do interviews. That's for sure. Now, you hear him spit bars. Yeah. Legendary. And so that's what I wanted to do. Write a column that embody current events. So whether it's voting right now or human rights or if it was the Kentucky Derby, like I just showing the range of a Detroit kid and our monument in my hometown is the Renaissance Center. So usually something always ties back to my hometown, Detroit. And so that embodied the Renaissance man. A guy you might see on NBA Countdown talking about Breonna Taylor interviewing Nasir Jones and David Chang on the New York Post. Well, I mean, the first few episodes are awesome. Podcast is The Renaissance Man. Uh, you can get it where you find podcasts. We'll, we'll tell people about it in the notes. Jalen Rose, thanks for joining us. It's been a, a total pleasure, total honor. Podcast legend 10 years in. And uh, I know you, you, you were kind enough to do some presenting for us at the Webbies this year. I hope when we get back to all getting together in real life, I hope we can have you in person and, and thank you at, at our event. But thank you so much for joining us on the Webby Podcast. My pleasure. I appreciate the love. Thank you guys for having me on. A huge, huge thank you to the legendary Jalen Rose for stopping by the Webby Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to Jalen's new podcast with the New York Post. It's called Renaissance Man and available everywhere you get your podcasts. If you like the Webby Podcast and want to support it, leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really like it and you want to make my mom happy, leave us a review. If you are making great stuff on the internet, I hope you won't forget to enter. Our final deadline is coming up Friday, December 18th. For information on that and other information on the Webby Awards, visit webbyawards.com. That's W-E-B-B-Y awards.com. And on most social platforms at the Webby Awards. You can reach me on social at DMD Likes. Our producer is Taylor Griffin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Terrence Brosnan is our editor. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is a brand new iPhone Super Max Ultra 12. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is the Webby Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.